Let's pray. Lord, we always seek to know what you have for us to know. We are grateful for your word that teaches us and instructs us and guides us and opens our minds to your truth all the more. Lord, soften our hearts that we may gladly receive your word this morning. Teach our minds that we may not only hear it, but receive it and remember it. Bless us, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. In the 1980s and the 1990s, there was a show that you might remember. It was a show called Lifestyles of the Rich and the Famous. And it was uh, hosted by Robin Leach. And each week what he would do is he would highlight uh, a different uh, athlete or a celebrity or business mogul and the lavish lifestyle that they led, their homes and their cars and, and all that they did. And at the end of every show, he would, he would finish it with the words, champagne wishes and caviar dreams. And people would watch this show, and it would cause them to want that kind of a lifestyle, right? They would want to have more money. They would want to have a bigger, better house, a, a nicer car, right? But the, the problem is with that is that all too often, these celebrities their lives are not really that happy. How many times have you heard stories of someone getting another divorce or all the money that they had went away and now they're they're bankrupt or, or they're in depression or they're hooked on drugs and have to go to rehab again? And so this, this lifestyle of the rich and the famous is not actually that wonderful. See, their, their money... Their possessions could not keep them from the trials that they experienced in their life. No matter the lifestyle, everyone has challenges and trials in life. We all have had our experiences of challenge and trial. And the key that we need to remember is that without God as our foundation, these trials will lead us into despair and maybe even ruin if we're not careful. As we look at King David this morning in the story, chapter 12, we're going to be looking at a king who had power, success, fame, but he also had many trials. And we're going to look at what kept him strong. His life was meaningful and strong because of his relationship with God. In 2 Samuel chapter 11 in the Bible, we come to probably one of the better known stories in the Bible. It is a story of King David and Bathsheba. It's a story fit for the pages of National Enquirer, right? You have lust and you have power and you have sin. You see, one day, King David is in his palace and he decides to go up to the rooftop of his palace. And on the rooftop, he has a beautiful view over Jerusalem. And then he's looking around and he happens to notice Bathsheba. And he sees that Bathsheba is bathing. And his lust takes hold of him. And he has the power as the king to summon her to his palace. And so he does. And he has the power as king to sleep with her. And so he does. And after that encounter, she goes away. 
And soon after, she finds out that she is pregnant. So now David has a dilemma. I mean, he shouldn't have done this. He was married. She was married. What will he do? Well, he compounds his problem, his sin, by sending for her husband Uriah, who's fighting in the battle, and he brings Uriah back, hoping that Uriah will sleep with Bathsheba, and then once that she discovers, or he discovers later that she's pregnant, he will just think that it's his child. But Uriah is committed to his fellow soldiers, and so he doesn't even go in the house. He sleeps on the front step. So now David has another problem. That didn't solve my problem, right? So he sends Uriah back to the front lines, and he sends a message to the captain of the army saying, put Uriah in the front of the battle, hoping that Uriah will get killed, which he does. So David has compounded his sin even more, and then he takes one more step by taking Bathsheba to be his wife. And so he compounds his sin over and over and over again. Now, we could argue about all of David's actions here, understanding that none of them were good choices. And we could see that this story could be a whole sermon in itself, right? I mean, there's so much in the story. But let me just point out a couple of things from the story, since the story, chapter 12, has a lot of different aspects to it. See, often the case... When we get into sin, it is a cycle that can lead us deeper and deeper into the sin. And if we're not careful, we can fall into Satan's web and he captures us in this cycle of sin, which just compounds itself. And the only way to break this cycle of sin is to look to the Lord, to call out to the Lord, to seek the Lord and his strength, and to have the Lord lift us up and strengthen us so that we can break that bond of sin in our life and make better decisions for our lives. See, our sin can lead us into confusion. Our sin can lead us into wrong choices, and it just compounds over and over again. We need God to touch our heart, to bring us strength, to bring us forgiveness, to bring us cleansing, to put us back on that right path that God would have for us. See, the problem, one of the problems of being a king is that when David sinned, I mean, no one wanted to tell him about his sin, right? I mean, who wants to tell a king their sin? Because if you confront the king, more often than not, he's just going to have you executed, right? But God put upon Nathan, the prophet, put upon his heart to confront David. So Nathan has this issue. Okay, God, uh, you want me to confront David, but I don't want to die yet, so what am I going to do? And I love the way that Nathan handles his situation because when, when he handles the situation in the way he does, he turns it onto David so that David sees his sin. And David is the one who is going to respond in the correct way. So, we're going to read from 2 Samuel 1-7, and the yellow part, please read with me. The Lord said to Nathan, sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. 
He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. You can see, I mean, he loved this one little lamb, right? It was like a daughter to him. Now our traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. See, David's anger. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Isn't that brilliant how he did that? He turns the story in a way that David looks at it and his anger burns against this shepherd who took the one sheep. And then when Nathan says, you're the man, Nathan realizes, oh, that's what I did with Bathsheba. And we see that Nathan takes David to that place where his righteousness and his compassion take over. And once David sees that this has happened, David is convicted of his sin. He is humbled before God. So let me point out a couple things that we can learn from Nathan and how he handled this. First, when God puts it on your heart to confront another brother or sister, take advantage of that opportunity. When God puts it on your heart to confront someone in their sin, you need to respond faithfully to what God has put on your heart. But secondly, we learn that we do much better helping the person to see their sin and acknowledge their sinfulness as opposed to attacking them with condemnation. So God puts it on your heart to confront another person, but you do it in a way that helps them to see their sin and their sinfulness. You don't attack them or condemn them in doing it. And then thirdly, we see that it is God who convicts David. God who will convict the person, not us. It is not our job to bring conviction upon another person. It is our job just to simply lay it out before them and let the Holy Spirit come upon that person's heart and mind and bring conviction to that person. Only then will they have sincere repentance when they have allowed the Holy Spirit do that. And we see this happen in verse 13. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. See, David is contrite. He understands his sin. He realizes his wrongdoing. And he confesses to the Lord. And we know that the Bible promises us in 1 John 1, 9, and read the underlined part with me, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is the truth of, of Scripture all throughout the ages. I mean, it was written about in the New Testament, but all throughout the ages, whenever people come to the Lord and confess sincerely to the Lord, the Lord is faithful not just to forgive. That's nice in itself. He doesn't just forgive us our sins, but he also purifies us. From that unrighteousness. And in the New Testament, we learn even more that because of Christ, not only 
are we purified from our unrighteousness, but the righteousness of Christ himself is imparted, imputed into our life. And we become righteous before God. It's a beautiful thing that God does for us. And Nathan responds to David saying, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. Now, in this Old Testament passage in 2 Samuel, we don't really see the, the full contriteness, the full forgive, uh, for, uh, repentance of God. We don't really see da David really uh, giving himself to God as fully as he actually does. And what is beautiful is that David uh, wrote 73 of the 150 psalms that we have. And many of the psalms that David wrote are about his confession, or about his repentance, or about his, his understanding of his sinfulness and God's holiness. And so Psalm 151 is the psalm that, uh, psalm that he wrote in regards to this uh, response to the, the Bathsheba experience and Nathan confronting him. Confronting him. And so I want us to look at, we're going to look at 15, the first 15 verses of that psalm and if you'll read the yellow parts with me, that will be great. David says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity, David says, and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. You see David just pouring out his heart to the Lord. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. God, you have every right to judge me. You are justified when you judge me. I understand that. Surely, I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. David understands the sin that is in him that all of us fight against every day. And he goes on, Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You created us in their sin, but you still want us to be faithful, Lord. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. God, David knows that only God can remove that filth of sin, that stain of sin. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. The bones you have crushed. You see his, his humility. You see his despairing over his sin. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. A change, right? Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. See that David knows that my heart is not pure except when you make it pure, Lord. I need you to make my heart pure. The lust that I had made it impure. The sins that I committed made it impure. Do not cast from me your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. I could not stand that, Lord. Do not leave me. You know, our sin pushes God away because God cannot be in the presence of sin. David says, do not cast me from your presence. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. I will teach. I have learned this and I'm going to teach others what I have learned. 
What an important lesson I have learned. Others need to learn it. So that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. We see in this powerful psalm that David acknowledges the mighty love of God, being a God who forgives sin, who forgives sinners. David understands that God is holy and awesome and that he is a sinner. He knows that God is the one who can judge, but that God alone also is the one who can wash away our sins, who can cleanse us, who can renew us, who can restore us into that relationship with God. God is powerful enough to wash away even the greatest of sins, some of which David has committed, right? He committed lust and adultery and deceit and even having someone, in essence, put to death. He realizes that God has every right to judge him and condemn him and that his heart is not pure because of this sin, but that God can make his heart pure He knows that he needs to receive the Spirit of God and he has received the Spirit of God that has caused him to be humble and to offer up his sincere confession and restore to him that relationship that he so wants to have with God. He also realizes it will take all of God's work to heal and renew his heart And in that, he wants to give praise to God. We can learn so much from that, right? We need to have the same kind of attitude towards confession. We need to have the same kind of understanding of what we need to do. I mean, uh, confession is not just, oh, sorry, Lord, please forgive me, right? It's not just these these frivolous words that we throw, throw out. It is understanding to the depth of our being that we have not only sinned against a person, but we have sinned against God himself. And that sin separates us from God. And we hopefully long to be back in that relationship with God. And David teaches us that when we get down on our knees, when we humble ourselves, when we understand our sinfulness, when we realize that we have done wrong, and that that is not the way to live, that God calls us to live in faithfulness to him. When we come to God with that kind of attitude and heart, then we can receive not only the forgiveness of God, but the restoration in our relationship with God and the restoring of our heart, making it pure again. How wonderful it is to learn what David teaches us here. Well, David continues on as king, and as he does, he he has other trials. I mean, David is not immune to trials. A king is not immune to trials. Even a king of power, of favor, of success is not immune to trials. In fact, he has to deal with a, a great trial in that his son Absalom tries to overthrow David and take the throne away from him. Could you imagine having your own son turn against you? Trying to to take away your throne, trying to deceive you behind your back. 
And in the end, in all of this, his son Absalom is killed. So not only has he dealt with the treachery of a son, but now he has dealt with the death of a child. David was not immune to pain and suffering. But the one constant you will see in his life is that he constantly turns to the Lord for strength. He constantly turns to the Lord for understanding. He constantly turns to the Lord for hope, for what God will have for him, what God will do in and through his life. And when David wasn't worrying about his enemies, his thought, his thought turned to the Lord. How can I please the Lord? How can I live for the Lord? How can I do things that will please the Lord? And it, this leads him to the thought that, you know, I live in this beautiful palace. But the Ark of the Covenant is housed in a tent. The place where God resides, in the, in the Ark of the Covenant. God, God's presence is found there. A tent, we can't have that. God needs to be in a mighty temple. And so David gets in his mind that he's going to build a temple for the Lord. But God speaks to Nathan and sends Nathan to David and we read in 1 Chronicles 17, 11-12, When your days are over, Nathan says to David, and you go to be with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. You will not be the one to build the temple, but your offspring will build the temple. One of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. It will not be David who will build the temple. Now, at first, David was kind of disappointed, right? I mean, you've probably had dreams where you're like, I'm going to do this, and then it didn't happen in that way. And there's some, some disappointment in that. I mean, we get many temptations and many frustrations in life, right? Sometimes they happen because of our own our sin, right? There's temptations in front of us, and, and the question is, will we give in to that temptation or not? How are we going to handle that? Sometimes it comes from our failure, right? Sometimes we try to do something and we fail. How will we respond to failure? Sometimes our life goes in a different direction than we imagine. And there's disappointment. How will we deal with that disappointment? See, David passes the test here. David could have just sulked or could have been angry or could have tried to build the temple anyway. He could have defied God, right? But we read, oh, getting ahead of myself here. We read in 1 Chronicles 17, verses 20 and 23, where David says, there is no one like you, Lord, and there's no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And now, Lord, let the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house be established forever. Do as you promised. Do you see David's response? It's not like, why, Lord, why not me? Why can't I do this? David said, no, Lord, if that's what you want, if that is your will, if you want someone else to build the temple, then I will be okay with that. I will be good with that. I will accept your will for my life. And how often... Has that happened in our life, right? We've had disappointments. Maybe not living the life you wanted to live. 
Maybe losing a job or a child or a spouse. Or maybe having a failure that you experience that just nags at you. You can't get past that failure that you had in your life. Life is not about having our own way or being successful in everything that we do. Life is about learning how to walk faithfully with God and trusting God to lead you down the right path. See, are you following God's path for your life or are you trying to create your own? See, David could have tried to create his own, right? But instead he said, no, Lord, if this is the path you have for me, I accept that and I will walk in that faithfully. That is our challenge all the time. Are we trying to forge our own path? Are we trying to say, God, what do you have for me in my life? Whatever that is, I will walk in that faithfully for you. Because David couldn't build the temple, instead, he knew that he had, he had the abilities, he had the power, he had the opportunity to gather all the supplies and materials that would be needed to build the temple. And so instead of building the temple, he gathered all of these materials and supplies so that when his son Solomon, Solomon was going to be the one to build the temple, he would have all that he needed. You know, here's a great thought. Do you have a skill? Do you have a talent? Do you have an ability? Do you have resources? Do you have supplies? Do you have possessions? Do you have something that you can give to someone else, come alongside someone else, and help them be successful in God's call in their life? Wouldn't that be a magnificent thing to do that you could say, I have some skill, I have some gift, I have a possession, I can provide some supplies for another person, and that person can be better off in following God's will because I walked with them, I helped them, I supported them. Many of you are in that place where you can help another person. What a blessing you could be to someone else. How wonderful that would be. There's a ship called the Pelicano. And the Pelicano at one time was the world's most unwanted ship. See, back in, the 19, back in 1986, the municipal workers in Philadelphia went on strike. And because they went on strike, the trash tried, started to, to build up. You can only imagine that more and more trash was just building up and building up and building up. Now, I know, I'm not sure why they did it, but Philadelphia tried to give the, the trash to New Jersey. New Jersey didn't want it. They tried to give it to Georgia. Georgia didn't. I mean, who would want someone else's trash, right? Well, the owners of the Pelicano thought that they were going to make a quick buck. And they had this, what they thought was a great idea, and they, they purchased all of this trash, and they were going to ship it somewhere else, and they were going to make money this way, right? And so they got all the trash, and they put it in the hull of the ship, and they, and they burned all the trash. And then they sailed to the Bahamas. I don't know why they chose the Bahamas, but they chose the Bahamas first. But the Bahamian government said, no, we don't want that. I mean, who wants toxic trash, right? And so they began to, to uh, sail around trying to get rid of this toxic trash. They wandered the Caribbean for 18 months, and they left about 2,000 tons of trash in Haiti, which is a terrible thing. 
Then they came to the Delaware Bay and they tried to enter there and they said, no, we don't want your toxic ship. We don't want you anywhere near us. And they went from port to port. They got turned down from ports from about at least 11 different countries. It was the most unwanted ship because of its toxic trash. So much for making a quick buck, right? See, and you look at this ship and you think, you know, in a lot of ways, the sin that is in our life, especially the unconfessed sin that's in our life, the sinfulness in us sometimes makes us toxic. It makes us toxic in our relationships. It makes us difficult to love. And it makes it difficult to love others. And we live in this state where we can be, in essence, kind of unwanted because we have this lifestyle that is unconfessed, this sin that has not been given over to God. And because it's not been given over to God, it's not cleansed, it's not removed. We are not been purified. It's important for us to search our heart and to say, do I have any unconfessed sin? Do I have anything that I'm doing right now in my life that is the cycle that I'm in? I can't get out of this cycle of sin. Is there some particular sin or temptation that is just there that I'm struggling with? See, the key is to give it over to the God, to humble yourself before God and to say, I cannot do this. I am not powerful enough to do this on my own. I can only do it with the Lord's help. See, God wants us to love, us, love him back. And the only way we can really fully love God back is to receive that forgiveness, which brings us into a restored relationship with God and draws us into that place where God can fully love us and we can fully return that love. See, David knew this. That's why he wrote Psalm 23. You know, we know the psalm well, right? Uh, read the underlying parts with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lay down in green pastures. He, he leads me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You, pre pre you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a powerful psalm. What powerful words of David. The Lord is my shepherd. You watch over me. When I stray, you seek me out. You bring me back. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I'm going to go through these difficult times, Lord. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I am comforted to know that you, God, watch over me in my life. And when I dwell with you, there is no better place in life. Do you believe that? Do you live that? I hope so. There is no better place than being in the very presence of God 
all the time. And we have that available to us. David wasn't perfect. In fact, he was far from perfect. He was a sinner, and he knew that he was a sinner. Even as king, that couldn't keep him from sin. It couldn't keep him from trials. But David knew that he could rely on God. David is called a man after God's own heart, not because he is perfect, not because he does everything right, but because his heart seeks after God time and time again. And when he strays, he realizes he needs to come back to God. Do you want to be a man, a woman, after God's own heart? Does your heart long to be in that deep relationship with God? You can have that. I can have that. What a beautiful lesson that we learn from David. His contriteness, even though he was king, he knew that God was his power, that God was his Lord, that God was his Savior, that God was his Redeemer, that God was the one who restored his heart and made it pure. I pray that you would seek after God with that kind of intensity each and every day. Let us pray.